0: she shatters and she burns fans this is hannah austin your host for the she burns podcast i'm excited to announce that my first book hello head meet heart is now out on amazon for more tips tricks and ways that you can burn bright and not burn out visit me on amazon at hello head meet heart happy reading Welcome to the She Burns Podcast, the go to podcast for women who were born to burn bright without burning out. When you're at the top of your game, the difference between handling the heat and boiling over comes down to the right self care advice at the right time. And if you're ready to take your seat around the campfire, these interviews with inspiring women will help you keep your flame alive. I'm Hannah Austin, and this is the She Burns podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Mandy Gettler, who is a mother, poet, avid hiker, mushroom hunter, and feminist. Mandy is currently co-leading the Women's Innovation Network at the University of Oregon. This is a nine-month program designed to support entrepreneurs, faculty, and students as they launch and sustain their businesses. Mandy has also volunteered with Well Mama, Maternal Mental Health and currently volunteers for Bristol Hospice as an end-of-life doula. Welcome, Mandy. I'm so excited that you're here with us today. Thanks, Hannah, for having me. So I would love to start here. I want to know your story from the beginning. Where were you born and what was it like growing up for you?
1: Yeah, I was born in Arizona and grew up in Iowa. So I moved from Arizona to Iowa very early on, about five, but still have memories of Arizona. And that's kind of you know like where my heart is. But I feel you know very much a Midwesterner. My parents divorced when I was young. And so I grew up with a ton of stepbrothers. I had three stepbrothers, so two older brothers, two younger brothers. Growing up, my house was loud. Like there was always a lot happening. I'm pretty introverted. So I was always, you know, reading, trying to find a quiet place in the yard. I grew up in a small town. And so I would ride my bike to the cemetery because it was the quietest place I could think of. (laughs) Yeah. So there was a lot of, there was a lot of things happening and a lot of things to try to keep track of growing up. And I think my life is still in some ways kind of like that. There's a lot going and a lot of to keep track of. And if that part feels comfortable, right? Because I grew up in that and I'm continuing to kind of maintain that.
0: So how did you get
1: to the University of Oregon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So first generation college student, I had no idea that you were supposed to apply to more than one college. So I applied to the the U of O. I have no idea why. I wanted to get out of Iowa. I had never been to Oregon. I'm like, yeah, it looks pretty nice there. I think I want to try that out. The U of O was the only place I applied to to go to college. So it's a good thing they accepted me. I I spent one year as a full-time student and then started working at the U of O and shifted to working full-time. And was a student halftime for the rest of my degree program. That's awesome. So, well,
0: thank God you got in. I was like, Oh God, did she get in? I know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that could have been a close one. And I yeah. had no idea, right? Like I had no idea that there was peril there.
0: <laughs> yeah. So pivoting from, you know, school to being a career woman at an early age, what did you learn about being a career woman? What were you raised hearing about what it looked like to be in a career, being an accessible career woman, what did that look like? And what were the stories that people were telling you?
1: Yeah. So my mom worked at Iowa State University in the Midwest. So I kind of had that idea of like a professional woman. And she was an administrative person. And she just retired from the dean's office. So she like had this high level of professionalism and kind of this grace and poise that I think like really solid administrators have. But I always viewed her as being like the number two person, you know, so I always had in my head, like, I never want to be the number one, I never want to be in charge, I don't want to be the one making the decisions, I want to be making the big ideas happen. And for a long time, that was the role I put myself in of being like the really solid support person. And I didn't really think of myself as being a leader, I always just wanted to be like behind the scenes. Putting things together, putting ideas and programs together, and getting things out there and in the community. And I, yeah, I always just kind of wanted to be in the background because that's where I thought women were. And that's what I saw.
0: And working at the university, I mean, obviously, you have lots of politics that happen there, great things happen yeah. there, but there's also, you know, community politics and educational politics. You know, seeing women in the number one role, what did you see about? you know, whether they were burning out or they were able to sustain that like powerful role, the strong kind of CEO or manager leader role when you were number two, what did you learn from those women and watching them work? And then did that solidify your I'm fine being number two?
1: Yeah, I think the longer I was at the university, the more women I saw in leadership positions. And I always thought like, oh, she is so badass. Like, I wish I could be like that. Right. So you know, seeing these women who totally commanded the room, who were super knowledgeable, who were kind, I think I've always prioritized kindness, but still firm, right? Like they didn't allow themselves to be talked over. They didn't allow their ideas to get railroaded. Like they really wanted to be heard and they were kind about doing that. And there were a couple of women in other departments who I worked alongside at the university where I saw that happening. And then later after the center I worked for, that director retired and then we hired a female director. And I think her career and my career, like I just kind of started to run a little bit parallel and clearly like she was a little bit more out in front. And I learned so much from her about how to amplify other women's voices So like if you're in a meeting and she would do this, you know, pretty regularly and another woman said something and nobody acknowledged that she said something, she would repeat what that person had said, you know, and kind of give them credit of like, oh, so-and-so just said this, it's a really great idea. So having that modeled for me, I think was really imperative of like, oh, that's what that can look like. And, you know, that's, you know, pretty easy to do. And and lots of people can do that and I can do that and I can be in that place too.
0: I love that. I think it just, It makes you shine as an individual and as a leader, but it also solidifies that you're a woman's woman, right? You want to support other women. I had a conversation with one of my colleagues today, previous colleagues that said, you know, Hannah, are you doing any teaching or training regarding lateral bullying? And I thought, tell me more. And she said, you know, in the workforce, so many times there's a lot of women that are just like looking at you from across the conference table when you're saying something and either rolling their eyes or their body language or just not acknowledging, that is really not a sisterhood and that's not something you can tell in the environment that you don't want to work in. So I love that, Mandy. Thanks for that. So obviously we're here to talk a little bit about burnout. And a few weeks ago, you and I talked a little bit highlighting your burnout story. Can you share that story with us and kind of what led you to burnout?
1: Yeah. So at the time I was working for a grant-funded humanities center at the U of O. I was the associate director there. And we, again, grant-funded, So we have received no general funds from the university. So a significant portion of my role was fundraising, whether that's grants or working with contracts and putting together partnerships with private companies where we did the research and development on on products and services. And then they would do the distribution and delivery and then we would work out some kind of royalty exchange on the back end there is a lot of pressure in that. You know, at one time we had a team of 14 people and like, I really felt the like, Oh, this grant has to be solid. Otherwise I'm not going to be able to pay people. And we're going to have to start cutting people's hours and laying people off. And that never feels good. Those conversations are like excruciatingly painful and I never wanted to be there. And so I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to like, this has to be a perfect grant. This like, this conversation has to go well. I have to close this business deal at all costs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that whip that's behind you. That's like, I should be doing this. I have to be doing this. Like it's yeah. a lot of absolutes.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think too, on my part, like a lot of fear of failure. And, you know, I could write an amazing grant. My my director and I, we could have put together an amazing proposal and it still could not get funded right. through no fault of our own, right? But like, I still feel felt it as, well, gee, maybe if I had done X, Y, and Mm -hmm. Z a little bit differently. And so I think I definitely had to learn how to extend grace to myself. But at this point in time, hadn't learned how to do that. So I had, you know, I put all this pressure on myself to raise money, to keep my colleagues. And we were a small center. And so I have a pretty broad skill set. And I was essentially like doing multiple Job. You know, like in addition to the fundraising, I was also doing like social media and marketing and HR and financial analysis wow. and salary projections. And so, like, just the breadth of the tasks was really large. And so, at this point in time, you know, I was doing so many different areas and not feeling as if I was doing really well in any one of them just because I was spread so thin mm-hmm. and you know, as people would leave, I would just like absorb their responsibility. And it, once you do that, it's so hard to give it back. So I just had like amassed all of these different tasks and responsibilities. And, you know, on a, on a good week, I was working maybe 50 hours a week and I have two small kids at home, elementary age. And, you know, so I, I had set myself up for burnout by not saying no, by taking things on, not being realistic about what I could get done, adding like all this additional pressure to myself to do exceedingly well. Like I was not okay, just doing fine, you know, okay. Work passable work. Like I Mm -hmm. wanted it to all have this like really high standard of excellence. I wanted that for myself. So I had kind of laid out this trajectory for burnout And of course, you know, it only needs, like, you just need something to ignite that Mm fuse, right? Like I had already put the situation out there and COVID was definitely like that tipping point because then all of us, I saw it coming. We had some international students who were supposed to arrive from, from China. And so at December, in December, 2019, like I was watching COVID and coronavirus and Mm -hmm trying to figure out like, oh dear, like this is going to go poorly. And so I made decisions that parents did not like. So I did not accept the China students. I canceled their program. They were supposed to come in February, And I was Mm -hmm. like, nope, we're not doing that. But I brought, I did end up bringing students from, let's see, it was Japan and Taiwan. I also had Japan and, and Taiwanese students already on campus. And as I saw COVID start to escalate, I realized like oh dear I have to cancel everyone's programs the students who are already here I have to get them out like they need to go back home before they start closing the borders right yeah. so like I saw all of this coming and so I started to send students home I started working with their home institutions to get get them out of the country pretty early on so that was in February of 2020 and the parents of those students did not like that decision
0: I'm you know sure. like
1: i got some pretty strongly worded correspondence about like
0: <laughs> let's, hear, let's read one of those letters
1: <laughs> like why are you doing this like episode already, number two with mandy yeah we've already paid you know yeah. like and some that. of them were also heartbreaking of like did my child do something wrong like why are you oh. sending them back and i'm like no it's not that and yeah. and also like america is really individualistic and when we need to come together as a community to kind of solve this coronavirus problem, yeah. your child is going to be better served being right. at home with you. The family, like, yeah. Yes, yes. Like I knew America was not going to handle this well. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> and, and that kind of came to be, but at, at the time it looked like I was overreacting. And, you know, I was taking a lot of criticism for that, which is hard. I have a hard time taking yeah. criticism. Well, and it's personal
0: because um, you want to keep them safe. And you're also trying to protect, you know, your, your institution and obviously their safety and our safety, but like having to be the bearer of bad news. Right. I mean, that never feels good when you're already like hating life because of
1: COVID. So yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then in March, the school district basically like closed. And so for that whole spring students were home. So I had set myself up for burnout to have amassed all of these responsibilities, all of these tasks. I had a high standard that I was inflexible with right? Like I had to meet that. And then suddenly, (laughs) I have two young kids at home, an elementary school child and a fifth grader. And I went from working 50 hours a week in my career to also having to be a school teacher, a caregiver, a parent, I spent so much time in the kitchen, you know, because (laughs) my kids are home. And all of a sudden, I was making breakfast and lunch, which I hadn't been doing, you know, because they were somewhere else and dinner and snacks. And then I was like, I'm always in the kitchen. So that was like <laughs> the running joke is like, you know, I had turned into this housewife who still had a 50 hour a week job. <laughs> and, and I couldn't do it. Totally tanked. Yeah, it just got more and more difficult to like get out of bed. I mean, it seriously triggered like some pretty deep depression. And I ended mm. up taking like three months of FMLA leave. Because I just couldn't handle it. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I was really struggling. And I spent a lot of time, you know, kind of that I I joke about it now, like kind of lovingly, but like I would shuffle around the house like a geriatric patient and make like whale noises. You know, like I had to like (laughs) externalize my sadness. I had to like (laughs) get it out there. Oh my God. Part three, whale noises by Mandy. Yeah, you know, we could, I'll make you the audio CD. It'll be, you know, everybody's soundtrack for depression. (laughs) Did you ever feel like you were literally
0: going crazy? Like you're not showering, you're going crazy. Like these kids need your help. Work needs your help. You had mentioned before, feeling like you were feeling in everything. But then there Mm -hmm. is something inside ourselves, I think as women, that's like, stop, ask for help, which I'm so glad you, it sounds like you did and got FMLA leave but what about those people that can't do that? Like, I just think about a lot of people that were like, they just literally went to work every day and they looked like zombies. Like we would be on zoom calls and they would be like, yeah, you'd call their name and they'd be like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) I mean, it was like, they just in a brain fog. So you were saying that the situation impacted you impacted your kids. Like, what were they saying? Like, what were your kids saying to you? Were they saying like, mom, where's my lunchbox? Or like, mom, you're wearing that shirt, like five days in a row. Like what were they saying to you yeah. and what did you hear?
1: Yeah, I think it took a while for my kids to pick up that something was wrong. And it really, like we did a lot of work. I did. I talked a lot about feelings and emotions with right. them of like, you know, this is really difficult. I love you. It's hard having you at home all the time. And I don't want us to spend all of this time on screens, on Tablet on the TV you know like we have to get out of that and I still have all this work to do and like I need your help like I really I did wow, try I love to that. like I love that though bring them into yeah. it of like how can we do this together but I don't think it hit them that I was really so like my lowest parenting moment during this time they had been arguing and I just couldn't do it anymore like I could no longer mediate arguments like totally outside of my window of tolerance and I told them like I can't do this anymore I'm gonna go into my bedroom and close the door I'm gonna set a timer for 10 minutes do not knock on this door I will come out in 10 minutes you put yourself in timeout I had totally gave myself timeout and I like screamed into a pillow which I heard like that can help but I had never yeah. done that before right wow. so I did that until like my throat literally, like it hurt. And then I, over my own screaming, I hear the two of them going back to arguing. And and then I just like, I don't know. I was a wild woman, you know, I was like possessed. I like flung open my bedroom door and I stood in the living room and I was like, I can't take it anymore. (laughs) And they were like, so stiff you know, I'm scared. Yeah, yeah, totally. And my oldest, you know, who's 11, he did say, he's like, I'm really scared right now. (laughs) And and like, now I can laugh about it. But like, that was my total, like lowest point where I felt like a horrible parent, a horrible employee, like all of these roles I had been trying to fill. I feel like I just failed at all of them. And then like, holy cow, I just unleashed that on my children, you know? Yeah but that did kind of clue them into like, Oh, this is something bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And mom's
0: talking like a whale screaming like (laughs) a bitch.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Like who is this woman now that we're living with? And after that, you know, we really kind of, we really pulled it together and honestly what made a huge difference for me is I have a morning journaling practice that I had maintained through that whole, through that whole time that was, you know, pretty instrumental. And I had started reading a book by Thich Nhat Han called How to Fight. And it's just yes, this time. I, little, I know it changed my life. And it, during this time, it, I think like it kept me. I mean, I, I wouldn't say that I was, you know, like in my right mind, but it like <laughs> kept me holding on to something, you know, Great. and his metaphor of like you being a house and anger being this fire and what you want and your house is burning. And what you want to do is like run after the person who lit your house on fire. But like, meanwhile, like your house is burning to the ground and really, you know, you're better served putting out your fire, figuring out like what happened and then going to talk to the person. And I talked about that metaphor with the kids. And so like, we could say to each other, my house is on fire. I'm going to go take care of that. And that. it oh. changed everything because then suddenly it wasn't like we were antagonistic about each other. It was like, I'm trying to take care of myself. And this is I what that looks that. like. And like, that might be uncomfortable for you. So like <laughs> my youngest, his version of taking care of himself is like, he'll literally like roll around on the floor <laughs> and, and cry. And oh. like, I am not a bad parent for letting him do that. No. You know, like but I previously like, I felt like, Oh, I need to intervene. I need to do something. And now it's like, no, like he's taking care of his house. I'm like, that's great. (laughs) I love
0: that Mandy. Oh my gosh. I just had a visual when you said that about, you know, you don't usually run into the fire when the house is burning, right. You want to run the opposite way, but I love just like being there and fighting that battle, right. Obviously keeping yourself safe, but really looking at yourself from the inside out and figuring out. I have to work through this to get through it. Right. So that makes sense. You know, so it sounds like you had some really great parenting advice, or you developed these tools in your time of madness. And looking back now, and what worked during that time? Mm -hmm. It sounds like you had seen kind of the coronavirus coming, you had seen, okay, you're really good at like planning ahead. But looking back, what advice would you give that version of yourself now? Like, I mean, we're still in the middle of COVID in some aspect every day. There's a new variant, right? It's Delta, it's gamma, it's beta, it's whatever. But what advice would you give that version of yourself with the knowledge you have now? So that looking down from the heavens and seeing yourself scream into the pillow, what would you do differently?
1: Yeah, I think I would give my permission, myself the permission to actually not have a plan. Like at the time I was with a partner and I, he was super sweet and like wonderfully supportive in his own way. I also felt really judged for not being able to like, give myself enough self care. And I think I would tell that version of myself, like, Mm -hmm. you cannot self care yourself out of a toxic situation. Like I had a toxic relationship to my work, no amount of baths of hikes of yoga, which are like, typically what I gravitate to when I feel like that stress and the overwhelm coming on, no amount of doing that is going to solve the problem. Like let go of the plans. Let just kind of in the discomfort, let things be shitty. Don't fix them, and then when you're ready, figure out how to make changes to the situation, not changes to myself. Changing the context is like, yeah, I'm much better served changing the context rather than trying to adapt myself to an unhealthy situation because the situation is inherently unhealthy. You know, like I had an unhealthy relationship to my work and. That had to change, not I needed to just take more baths and do more yoga and go exactly. camping.
0: And- well, I think it's yeah. self-care in the old way, right? So the old paradigm wow. is, and at work, and you know this, you're saying this now, I've experienced this, you've experienced this, is work harder. The harder yeah. you work, the better off you know, you're know you viewed in the industry, corporate environment, whatever you want to call it, then it's more work, whether you put that on yourself or sp- A supervisor lovingly gives it to you because they say, oh, you're so good at this. Here's another piece of shit. And I think you move forward and move forward and move forward. But, you know, solving taking a bath, taking a walk, those are all going to help with stress, but they're not going to get you out of the situation. So, yes, you know, when you say taking a bath wouldn't have helped, you know, taking a walk, working out, whatnot. What tools do you wish you had during that time though, right? So you're in the middle of COVID, yeah. you're in the middle of burning yourself out. You obviously took a leave, which is basically you stop, pausing and reassessing. Where am I at in my life? That's what you're trying to figure yeah. out, right? I need yeah. to get some relief from the fire. So you took a stop and you paused and I'm assuming you did, you reassessed. How did you get yourself out of that situation? Obviously you took a leave, but how did mm-hmm. you get when you came back, Right. Did you switch positions? Did you get that workload off your desk? Did you reassess? Like, what did you actually do to get out of that situation, out of the fire?
1: Yes, I switched jobs during COVID. I left that position, which was heartbreaking. So I turned 36 this year, and I had worked at that position for 18 years. I'd oh, Mandy,
0: I burned out just hearing that
1: <laughs> literally half of my life wow. I spent there. And so like, there was a lot of grief at leaving and admitting, yeah. like, I've done all I can do here. And that's and more. <laughs> yeah. And more. And also like, you know, working 18 years at the same place, like that's pretty phenomenal. And yeah. like, I can be okay with that. Yeah. But there was a ton of grief. So I did, I switched jobs. And it was hard. It was hard to leave. And I love my colleagues, you know, like I've always loved the people that I've worked with. And so it was scary. It was scary to leave this like known, okay, the amount of work is unhealthy. I can't keep doing it. And I can't, I struggle shedding responsibility, you know, like that's a handy problem. And I really love these people and I'm going to leave these people that I love and appreciate for something totally different. And like Ooh, that's scary. Like maybe I won't like my colleagues as much. (laughs) Did you
0: feel like you were like abandoning them in a time where it's like a fire or a car accident? You're like, I can't be leaving all of these people because if I leave, I'm doing the work of three people. I'm basically walking away from a horrible fire car accident and leaving them in the fire. Did you feel that way? Did you feel a sense of guilt? And if so, how did you move forward with that? Because I think that's, I felt that same way. was, I gave notice, I was like, oh, once I gave notice, I felt immensely better right away, but I still worked two more months. And then when I was you know, hanging out with my, my coworkers, they were like, I don't know what we're going to do. This work's not going to get done. You do the work for three people. And I started to like say at some point, I love you guys, but that's not my problem. I mean, that's the challenge. Like, That's kind of the corporate environment that we were all in, right, is you had more work. So if you walk away, you're walking away from a challenging situation, but you're also working walking towards something better for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely felt that guilt. I totally agree. It was it was hard. And I had a super good relationship with our director, the woman who was my boss. And like, we're best friends, you know, like, mm. I lived with her for three months at one point, no. in night, you know, like, we're really good friends. And so I, yeah, had some difficult conversations with her. And I was honest, I'm like, this feels gross. Like, it feels gross to leave. Like, I know you're also overwhelmed and overworked and have too much on your plate. And I feel horrible for adding to it. And, you know, she was really kind about it. And she was like, yeah, that's my job to figure out. And I actually like solving problems. So like you've given me a new problem to solve. And like, that's okay. Thanks for the work, Mandy. Just <laughs> yeah. And she's like, and, and I'm happy for you. Right. But even, you know, in this story, like I'm aware of the immense amount of privilege that I had, right. Like that I had access to FMLA leave, that I had enough paid leave balances where I still got paid for those three months. Right. Wow that I had a boss who is just like a stellar human and was super kind and compassionate and things didn't have to go that way, but they did. And like, not everybody had that context. And so even though things were, were really hard, even as it was happening, I was really aware that like I do have these resources and this privilege as, as things are unfolding. So Yeah, being able to hold like the discomfort along with gratitude.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's an interesting balance. I think it comes down to, like I said, leaving a situation where you know you love and care about the people in the organization in general and the work, but you have done it to yourself, but the organization has also contributed. But you also know you're walking towards something, whether it's another job or taking a break, where you feel like you're trying to find some relief. For lack of a better term, it's almost like you're kind of following a white light or what could be because you don't know if it's going to be a better situation. Like that's the piece is like taking that leap of faith and saying, having enough comfort, but discomfort within yourself to say, there's got to be something better for me, right? Because you're not going to just leave a situation to a worse situation, hopefully. But I think taking that leap of faith, it's scary. Absolutely. It's scary.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is for sure. And, and in this case, like, again, now I'm in a new New spot, still within the university, but a different section of it, um, working with people who I had worked alongside previously. I love those colleagues too. So it's like I left one core team mm-hmm. for a different team. And even now when I think about, when I when I talk and I say like my team, like I think about both units, you know? Yeah, yeah. well, it's under one umbrella. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so your initial question, like how I got out of it, I switched jobs in the middle of COVID, which... I would have never seen myself doing. I would have never thought that I would get to the place where I needed to leave. And certainly that I would do it under such kind of dire constraints. (laughs) yes,
0: Yeah. So in kind of flipping it a little bit, when you hear colleagues, women, friends, men, whoever right now say, I'm dying on the vine, I'm so burned out. What is your advice to them? Yeah.
1: Listen to that. Like you already know what's happening yes, to you. Yes. And think about what are the things that you can change? Can you change jobs? If the answer, if your automatic response to that, as mine was for a long time, <laughs> it's like, no, I can't possibly change jobs. Approach that with some curiosity. Why not? Like, oh, well, I'm afraid I can't make as much money. Okay, well, what's the minimum that you can make? And and you know, still get your needs met? Or yeah. I'm afraid I'm not gonna like the new people I work with. Okay, well true you might not but like is that that big of a deal you know right. so just <laughs> listen like listen to yourself you know that and start to approach things with some curiosity which is really hard to do when you're like in it but i think all the folks that i've talked to who are going through burnout like they see it you right. know like you know mm-hmm. you know yeah, that it's, it's that happening.
0: voice inside you that's like stop and what are you doing and there's something more for you or help me, (laughs) Yeah, you know, you're, and I think a lot of people get sick. I mean, their bodies, they get, they physically get sick, you know, whether it's COVID or not, or mentally not feeling well on the bathroom floor, screaming into their pillow, doing whale noises. I mean, if something inside you saying I'm a little concerned about myself, you need to listen. And I totally agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So my initial question is what are the top three things you do for self-care? But since your last answer I want to hear a little bit more from you on now that you're in a new job and I've talked to you before, you're super passionate about what you do. You're yeah. super driven and you're, you're making waves. You're doing a great job in the world, but what are you doing to keep yourself on the burnout trajectory? So you've been there, you know what to look for, you know, the signs and symptoms. I love your morning journal practice. What are the things are you doing to kind of center yourself?
1: Yeah, for me, taking time to celebrate, it is so so easy for me. I'm a list person, you know, <laughs> and I just go from like checking one thing off the list to the next, whether that's, you know, in my job or even in like my personal life, my home life, you know, with my boyfriend. It's like, it's just so tempting because it feels good, right? To yeah. check that off the yeah. list. That can become a constant churning and this like hamster wheel of like, right. I have to keep running. So pausing to celebrate. Even, you know, really tiny things of like, hey, I checked that off the list. That's great. Helps me access joy and keeps things, you know, a little bit more lighthearted and less heavy. So for me, that's that's been instrumental. Like catching those really small moments of joy. My morning journaling practice has been also super instrumental. So I read and I write and I meditate every morning. I get up early so that I do that before my kids get up because I don't want to share that time. And I've also trained them, you know, that like if they get up and I'm reading or writing Mommy's in so time I, out again, yes, <laughs> you cannot interrupt, like go get your own cereal, like whatever. And, th- yeah. and then they also have free reign, right? Like whatever they choose to do, I can't get mad about it later. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So those have been super critical for me. And I've also started doing routinely kind of like mini retreats. So I'll take a weekend and I, just spend the weekend at the coast. So I love being by water. There's something that, you know, feels like really restoring to me about that. And I love the ocean. Maybe like having grown up in the Midwest, like I didn't even see the ocean. Yeah. You're I like, what is
0: like, this big piece of water with these waves yeah, in there.
1: 12 or 13, you know, and so Like, I love it now that I'm so close to it in Oregon. And there's this place in Newport that I go to that does not have TV. It has like body internet connection. Nice. And there's, yeah. So there's like no Wi-Fi, And all I do is read and write and walk along the beach. And I do that like once every three months. And I didn't think I could do it. To be honest, I thought like, I cannot do this. Like it's too expensive. I can't afford it. I don't want to be away for that long. And now I look forward to it. Um, And I'm assuming the kids are at home or someone's
0: watching them. So you're having that space or? Yes. Okay, great. Yep. Yep. I don't take the kids
1: and and they grumble about it. You know, Mm. they're like, you get to go to the coast and have this great time. Like, yeah, I do. You're right.
0: (laughs) You will when you get older,
1: when you give self-care to yourself, you
0: can do that as well. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you're um, teaching them that that's needed, right, to stay sane and to not have crazy wheel noises and yelling into your pillow. Like it's okay to take time for yourself. And I love that you're look you're setting the tone for that for your kids. Like, what a better lesson could you provide other than taking care of yourself first?
1: So. Right, alone time is so important. So you know the question about the top three things. Yeah, like finding joy, morning routine, and prioritizing your alone time. And that can look any different way. Again, like I recognize the privilege and how I find alone time, you know, that I have a vehicle that can get me to the coast that I can afford to stay there and things like that. So I think there are lots of ways that you, that you can prioritize alone time that don't have to be so like big and grandiose. Right.
0: Love those examples. Okay. So now's the time for the fun questions. So for the audience, I have not told Mandy what these questions are. In fact, I made one of them up. So we'll see how this goes. (laughs) But I've been thinking a lot about, you know, playfulness and joy and being a kid again. And I was reading an article about that your mind at seven years old is super creative, super fun and, and joyful, right? So I was thinking to myself, Mandy, if I told you that you could be seven years old for a day with no responsibilities or worries, what would you spend your day doing? (laughs)
1: at seven, I would probably have spent my entire day at the park. Like I loved the swing set. You know, I liked feeling, you know, you get so high and you get kind of that like tickle in your stomach and like the wind is in your hair. I would, yeah, I would spend all day on the swing.
0: (laughs) Oh, okay. Great. I was not expecting that. Okay. So this is a little bit more formal, right? And this is a little more, so we have to take a deep breath before we answer this question, but I have been asking a lot of women this and, the answers that I'm getting are pretty profound. But you can also say whatever you want. So first thing that comes to mind. I was going to say, no pressure. (laughs) (laughs) I have to be profound now. Shit. (laughs) Okay. So if you really knew me, you would know that I. So complete that sentence.
1: Hmm. Oh, man.
0: I know. Isn't that the weirdest question? It's like so straight to the point, but it like hits you in your heart and gut and soul at the same time. It's like, Ooh, am I going to be super vulnerable and tell the truth? Or am I going to say like, (laughs) oh, I could go skydiving. I love to skydive or whatever. But no, I mean, I love this question. If you really knew me, you would know that I.
1: Yeah, I think you might have stumped me. It's not an easy question. It's not, it's not, you know, and I live my life pretty openly. Yeah. Well, okay. If people really knew me, they would know that I struggle with fitting in with my family of origin, right? Like, I really I don't fit in. I was grew up as the middle, the middle child, right? Only girl, two older brothers, two younger brothers. And now that I've kind of like moved out to the West Coast, I've like absorbed these, you know, what my family lovingly refers to as like left coast politics that you know that they just don't don't really resonate with and so for quite some time I had this moniker of like "it's crazy aunt mandy of like oh crazy aunt mandy's coming and I'm like yeah okay whatever you know I went through this period where like I didn't shave my armpits and like my family was like really freaked out (laughs) about that (laughs) hey be you yes yes yeah I'm like you know what I don't prioritize you know the removal of my body hair I guess (laughs) I got other things going on. And yeah, that's been a struggle. It's been a struggle because I often feel, you know, like kind of unsupported. All of my family lives elsewhere. Like it really is, like it's just me out here and the friends that I've made, and you know, the really kind of close bonds that I've had to work at at forging. But, yeah, I often feel like kind of a little undersupported and a little yeah, disconnected. I have a hard time. I have a hard time going back home and feeling like I get to show up as myself and for that to like be okay. Like I think, you know, they're really a little uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 And so I think, you know, that drives drives me to be to try to be as accepting as I can with colleagues, with the people that I work with. Like I spend a lot of time listening and not so much time talking. Um, I love
0: this. I love that's why I love interviewing you. you (laughs) Such great
1: things to say. Yeah. So that's where, that's where my listening comes from is, you know, not feeling seen or heard. Yeah.
0: Thank you for that. I love that answer. And thank you for, I know it's a really vulnerable question and I get a variety of answers there, but I think it really, that question really, for some reason, just lends to a pause and a moment of like, okay, I'm going to be vulnerable right now. And this is, this is going to be me. Cause if you really knew me, you would know that I, which I love.
1: Right. And we all have these different versions of ourselves. Right. And so to think through like, well, what's that version of myself that I keep, you know, really close. like, like, Yeah. Me and a best Mm -hmm. friend or like me and a partner get to see Mm -hmm. like, who is that, that version
0: of myself? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for your vulnerability. I really appreciate that. I know it's a deep question, but you get a gold star. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time today. The time has totally flown by. I thought it was going to feel like it was going to be all day, but it felt like five minutes. You are doing such special things in this world. I am so grateful that you're here today with me to share your story, per- perspective, and bright light with us. I mean, you, you gave us a lot to think about, and so especially a lot for me to think about. So thank you so much.
1: Yeah. Thank you for the invitation. I love the idea behind this podcast. I often say, like, if you don't know your options, you don't have any. And so I think listening to stories and hearing what other people have done and trying to find other options and other ways of being and getting through, like, really challenging times in your life and then figuring out how to not end up there again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. What are the lessons
0: exactly. that we've learned from burnout and to protect ourselves again. I mean, I, I don't think you burn out and then you learn and you never burn out again. I think it's definitely no. a cycle and especially mm-hmm. the industry and the profession and the corporate lifestyle that we've all lived in for so long. Unfortunately, it's, it's not here to stay, but it's going to take a lot to change that perspective and that grind. So I think it's just deciding within ourselves where we want to be and how we can protect ourselves and and keep ourselves bright.
1: Yeah, yeah. So thank you for doing this and for inviting me to be such a small part of it.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Okay, to our listeners, you can find Mandy on our LinkedIn profile at linkedin.com on Mandy.getler or email her at mandyl at uorgan.edu. I loved this episode today. It is impactful work when we really get to dig into women's stories and hear their personal journeys. It reminds us that we are not alone, Mandy, in our thoughts, feelings, and circumstances of burnout. It gives us hope and challenges us to work on ourselves from the inside out. And as women, as like we talked about today, we are all searching for connection, validation, and belonging. And together we can learn how to burn brightly and not burn out. Thank you for joining us on the She Burns podcast. We are so grateful for your time, energy, and support. For more tips, resources, and tools on how to burn bright, please visit us at SheShatters.com or on Instagram at SheShattersLLC.